Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Hey there, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, the Director of the Center for Progress and Innovation at the Independent Women's Forum. I'm joined today by IWF Legal Fellow Jennifer Brasaris to discuss nuisance lawsuits, specifically the recent lawsuits against Bayer over claims that the herbicide Roundup, or glyphosate, causes cancer. In fact, a California court recently awarded millions of dollars to a plaintiff who claimed the use of glyphosate caused his cancer. So we're going to discuss this issue today, a very complicated issue, and we're going to touch on how nuisance lawsuits have become a real problem for industry in this country, and specifically innovation. Before, but before we delve into this issue, I want to tell you a little bit about Jennifer. Jennifer is a lawyer and a political columnist, and she's also a former commissioner of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Jennifer is a graduate of Harvard Law School, and she writes about issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. Her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, National Review, the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald, and many other publications. She currently lives in Boston, in the Boston area with her husband and four children. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. How are you, Julie? <laughs> I'm good. I'm glad you're with me today. This is a really complex issue, um, and you know, I, I want to start off talking about Roundup itself, Roundup, it's, it's, Roundup is sort of the commercial name. Glyphosate is the active ingredient, the chemical in Roundup that actually kills weeds. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the safety of Roundup because really that's, that's the issue at hand here and why Bayer is being sued by people who used Roundup. So I want to talk about is it carcinogenic? Does it cause cancer? Um, and really, you know, I know that's not something that you and I can necessarily say yes or no, but it's, we, I want to talk a little bit about the studies surrounding um, Roundup. And just before, again, before we get into that, for the listeners, I want to, I want to give a brief um, summary here. Last year, a California jury ordered Monsanto, and, and, and it's important to understand that Monsanto was bought by Bayer. So you're going to hear you know, we're going to go back and forth between Monsanto or Bayer, but really it's now Bayer. But at the time of that court decision, it was Monsanto. So this California jury ordered Monsanto to pay a whopping $289 million to a school groundskeeper. He developed cancer and claimed that it was because he used Roundup on those grounds, school grounds um, that he developed that cancer. That award was later slashed to a still very substantial $78 million. Um, and then this year, another California court ordered Bayer, again, uh, used to be Monsanto, uh, to pay $80 million to another man who claimed the use of glyphosate caused his cancer. Um, in both cases, Bayer is appealing. But the most important thing, I think, for people to understand, Bayer is now facing thousands, thousands of these lawsuits. It could really put this company under. So let's talk first about these cases um, and, you know, and, and, but, but more importantly, first, let's talk about the safety of glyphosate. You mentioned this, you talked about this a little bit in a blog post, so maybe you could talk about that first. Sure. Before I do, just let me add that there's a third case, um, where, where the plaintiffs were awarded $2 billion. Oh, wow. So right. there's currently that. three verdicts, um, two from California state courts and, 
and the the second one, the middle one, was a, a federal court case. Um, okay. But there are thirteen thousand or more cases uh, pending against Bayer, and so obviously it's it's a something that could be not just economically crippling, but but business ending. Um, yeah, you know, is what we're talking about here. But okay, so let's talk about the the, the risk and the and the science behind all of this. Um, the bottom line is, do you have to worry if you have Roundup in your garage and you use it in your garden? No, the answer is no. Um, all of there have been numerous studies about Roundup and whether or not the active ingredient causes cancer and the vast majority of the world's regulatory agencies have determined that there's no connection um, between the active ingredient and Roundup and cancer. There is one study, and it is one study that the plaintiffs um, repeatedly base their cases on, um, and it's a study... Well, it's an interesting study because um, it's a it's sort of a summary of other studies that are out there. And interestingly, the authors of it uh, left out all of the evidence that showed that it that Roundup is not carcinogenic, and only included the evidence that sort of made their point that there is some risk to rodents um, from from this product. Sure. Sure, and we talked about it. I've written quite a bit about how rodent studies are not necessarily um, – they, 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 they certainly show something. They're, sev- they're definitely useful, but you can't just necessarily take a rodent study and say, well, this is exactly how it happens in humans. We are not rats. Um, and, and also, often in these rodent studies, they give massive doses of a particular chemical to, uh, uh, to the, the rodent. It develops some sort of bad – you know, uh, you know, there's there's bad results from that, whether it's tumors or neurological damage, and that shouldn't be any surprise to someone when you're giving a rat. Um, and and usually, also the important thing to understand is they're usually injecting it straight into the blood, as opposed to correct um, breathing it in or um, or having it touch your skin. Um, one of my favorite. Uh, studies um, that's often cited to, to suggest that bisphenol A, BPA, which is a chemical put in plastics to make it harder, um, is, is toxic to humans. And a lot of time activists will cite this one study where they literally removed the skulls of living monkeys and injected BPA directly into the monkey's brain. Nice. I don't think it, and, and of course, this study, they say, look, you know, the activists won't actually give those details. They'll just simply say, like, it caused neurological or brain damage when monkeys came in contact with it. And if you read the study, which, right. you know, what, what, per, what person has time to like dig down and read the study, the metho- methodology of the study? And so when you do that, you find, oh, okay, well, this is not at all like how humans come in contact. Nobody is injecting, you know, BPA into their temple. And if they are, they probably have a lot of other problems. Um, right. And so- <laughs> right. So it's, a, it's a similar thing with the Roundup. There's this one agency, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, that, you know, they released this finding saying that glyphosate is, quote, unquote, probably carcinogenic. Right. Um, but... You know, like we said, you can't extrapolate from animal studies to humans. The most that that would possibly mean is that this is something we need to study further. And, in fact, 
other agencies around the world have studied it further and have right. determined that, no, it is not carcinogenic for humans. Now, so, now, in one of these cases, at least in one of these cases, isn't it a fact, and isn't Bayer also basing its appeal on this, is the fact that they they saw, the jury saw the the um, WHO evidence, but weren't allowed to look at, the, for instance, the EPA evidence, which is a lot more rigorous um, and looked at a lot more studies. Is, is that... Is that one of the factors here that that Bayer's concerned about? Yes, that is true in one of the cases that the jury was allowed to see um, uh, only one study and not the rest of the body of evidence, um, much of which came after the fact, showing that no, there there isn't further risk. And I think, so here's the thing. Part of the problem is that juries and, and people in general have a hard time differentiating between hazard, risk, and causation, yes. right? So hazard is the possibility that at some exposure level and under some circumstances, a substance might pose a risk. So right. as you were saying, like if you drink 10 gallons of it or you have it injected into your brain or whatever. So so the one negative study for for Roundup, for Bayer, shows that perhaps there's a hazard, right? right. And all right. that means is that, you know, remote potential that at a massive exposure level it could cause risk. Then well, it's, risk, the same thing with cross, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing with crossing the road, right? There, you, you could get hit by a car, right? Or you correct. could, but like, you, but what they, how they, how they are sort of deciding on these cases is that, since there's the possibility or, you know, of this, then, then um, even, even if it's so, so remote, um, and, and again, that doesn't exactly track because in many cases they're showing that glyphosate isn't at all uh, uh, carcinogenic, but, but in, in some ways, I mean, we, we, we wouldn't tell you to never cross the road because of the off chance you might right. get hit by a car. But go on, right. you were saying so, about hazards. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of things happening here with the jury, and I'll sort of explain what I think is going on in a minute. But, but the first is that, that most people don't understand the difference between hazard and risk. And, you know, risk is the likelihood that actual exposure in the real world might right. cause cancer. In other words, how you use the product regularly. So actual yeah. exposure, if somebody's gardening and they use the product, you know, in their garden once a week for 15 years, that would right. be a risk. But then still, legally, in these cases, even if there is a risk, um, the plaintiffs have a burden to prove causation. They have a burden to prove that, that, that okay, there's a risk, but in this particular case, um, this product actually did cause my illness or my cancer. And, and the problem here is that these are all cases based on um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for the most part. Yeah. And non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is what they call idiopathic, which means it can arise spontaneously and doctors and scientists don't know what causes it. Right. Um, they have identified some risk factors. Um, and some of those risk factors are age or viruses, exposure to certain bacteria, um, a weakened immune system. Right. All of those things are risk factors right. um, for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But 
even if the science showed that Roundup was a risk factor, that doesn't mean it caused somebody's or any particular person's lymphoma. So, so it's a very broad leap from hazard to risk to causation, and juries are, I think, confusing those concepts and yeah. making the leap um, without well, actually understanding. I, I and that that that's two, two points I wanted to bring up. I think that there is, and again, I'm very sympathetic to these jurors because I I don't have a science degree. Um, I've learned over the years, but I still am not. You know, I, 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 these are very complex issues. And so then you have a jury. Um, you know, and and you know, it's likely that many of them don't have a PhD in biology, um, and so they're hearing very complex issues. But the other thing I think is important to mention is, you know, there's an emotional issue here, right? You have this groundskeeper, and he's got a, a horrible disease that is, he's got, a, you know, he's he's terminal, he's going to die, and you have so you have the groundskeeper who has a terminal disease versus a big company, right? And I think and they're going to stick it to the man, right? Exactly. It's a. It's got a very Aaron Brockovichian kind of feel to it. You know, this 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 man who's worked his. You know, he's a blue collar worker. He's worked his whole life, and then here comes this big bad company now denying him um, his due. And so there's that element as well. And it's very hard, I think, for jurors who may not have any kind of science background or any science education to to sort of listen to the facts in the case. And frankly, again, as you mentioned, not all the facts are even presented to this jury. Um, so when they have sort of a one-sided, uh, uh, you know, bit of scientific data coupled with the emotional subject here or the, you know, the plaintiff who is, um, uh, who's, who's, you know, suing and who has this terminal disease, it's an emotional issue. I think that also really impacts this. So this is the problem, though. This is, I mean, it, we have thousands of cases now. You said, what, 13,000 cases now that they're... I think so, yes. Yeah, the jurors are not going to, it's not like they're suddenly going to get all PhDs in biology or plant scientists or, you know, people who understand these concepts on the jurors. It's going to be the same thing. So what do you... Right, so what, this, is, this is where the role of the judge is so important because right. the judge is supposed to be the gatekeeper um, of the evidence and also is supposed to be sort of the teacher of the law to the jury, right? right? So the judge's job is to... Um, determine what evidence the jury sees, but also then to explain to them uh, legally what they're supposed to do with that evidence. And so I believe that in these cases the judges have, you know, misused that that power and have, have um, not followed their role. And so that's why the juries are confused, because the judges are letting in evidence that shouldn't be let in, or not letting in evidence that should also come in, um, and they're allowing expert testimony that they probably shouldn't allow under the federal right. rules of evidence or the, or the state versions of, of the same thing. Right. We're seeing these nuisance lawsuits in other areas as well. I know you've been writing on them in the um, area of, of climate change activists and lawsuits against uh, big energy companies, also the opi- opioid uh, crisis in America has again, you know, the, the, these are these are some very creative uh, lawyers who are um, are now suing opioid 
um, manufacturers, uh, sort of laying the blame on the whole, the, the entirety of the blame for the opioid crisis on pharmaceutical companies. So this is a problem that goes way beyond Monsanto, way be, beyond this this particular issue. And what scares me, frankly, is and one thing that we haven't talked about are the benefits of glyphosate, um, which is Roundup. It is it is actually a very non-toxic herbicide. I mean, it's it's toxic to, to weeds, uh, but it doesn't even have a path in order to to it can't it can't harm humans. It doesn't have that sort of path. It doesn't attack humans in the same way. Um, and I think a lot of the activists um, attack glyphosate as a way to get to GMOs. There are some GMOs um, like BT and some other um, um, uh, crops that are um, altered in order to sort of have the herbicide inside, you know, in their genetic makeup. Um, so that when you spray a field, you kill the weeds, but not, for instance, the corn. Um, right, and I think that's, that's really what's fueling this in terms of the activist community is that yeah. – you know, when Monsanto started selling genetically modified crops that were modified so they could tolerate the, the glyphosate, I can't even yeah. say the word, let's just know, say Roundup. <laughs> um, you know, the, the activists were actually mad about the GMOs. Right, So, exactly. So then they it's decided to go after the Roundup. It's a backdoor. It's a backdoor, and it's and it and honestly, look, chemphobia is a real problem in this country. My goodness, you have people who, you know, are terrified about the teeny amounts of preservatives put in foods that will rot on the shelves. I mean, it's it's insane how worried people are about chemicals, and so you get something like glyphosate. Uh, you know, it's it's easier. I, I, in some ways, I think it's easier to attack the chemical. Um, but again, yes, I think it is a backdoor to attacking GMOs. But this is the thing. But it's it's not just modern herbicides. Um, that have been developed and tested to be safer. It's um, and 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 less environment have less of an environmental impact. I mean, farmers can grow um, higher yields on less land, largely because of both GMOs and things like glyphosate. And we never hear about those benefits. We never do. And now you have these this these crushing number of lawsuits. And I just don't understand how companies would ever have feel an incentive to innovate beyond glyphosate or find other chemicals or other herbicides or other pesticides that could could help farmers, um, you know, again, increase yields. And so it, it frustrates me from a um, I think it's a. I think it really is a wet blanket on innovation, and I think the same thing with lawsuits. You love that phrase, wet blanket on innovation. I do. I do I've heard love you that. use it on multiple podcasts. <laughs> I do. I do. You're such a wet blanket. But I mean, I think about opioid, uh, you know, companies that manufacture, you know, prescription medications. What incentive do they have? To to innovate in this area if they're going to face these lawsuits? Um, well, they so have none. It, and I, I like to mention this example, and you've probably come across it in your research, but a lot of people don't realize that um, pharmaceutical companies developed a vaccine for Lyme disease. And right. I found out about this actually when I took my dog to the vet and he was getting his right. Lyme vaccination. <laughs> and I said to the vet, how come people can't get vaccinated right. against Lyme disease? I have a couple of friends who really have suffered for many years yeah. from the aftermath of Lyme. And the vet informed me, and then I went and researched it and found out that this was true, uh, the vet informed me that pharmaceutical companies had developed a vaccine for humans. And the activists, but that yep. be Because of active, the activists and the lawsuits, they pulled it. That's exactly right. You can no longer get yourself vaccinated. Yeah. 
for that's Lyme exactly disease. right. That's exactly right. And it is, it's horrible because, I mean, I also have people, I mean, I, it's, I, I, I'm, I, I would be surprised if anyone doesn't know someone who has Lyme disease. It's so common today. Um, there's a lot of other things. West Nile disease, um, there was some development in that area. Um, you have golden rice, which is a fortified rice um, that has certain vitamins that prevent blindness and death in countries where rice is a staple. And so they fortified this rice to make it healthier. And because activists agitated against GMOs, because, of course, this was a genetic modification to this rice, um, they, the activists, uh, you know, both here domestically but also overseas, saying this is going to poison your kids, this is scary science, this is, you know, Frankenstein food. And many of these governments didn't want it. And then it was banned. Um, so golden rice, another innovation out there that could really, I mean, it could save children children in, in poor countries from blindness and death, and yet the activists don't want it deployed. I mean, there are so many examples of how activists have really stopped innovation, and I mean, stopped it cold. I mean, there's, and, and, there, and again, it makes you wonder, um, you know, what, what incentive there is for these companies to do this. It's, 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 it's really, it's actually kind of a frightening reality. And again, this nuisance lawsuit that we're talking about with, um, with glyphosate is just one of many examples of how activists are using the courts uh, to really harm industry. Right. No, that's exactly right, Julie. They are. They're doing it in so many areas. And I th- you know, I worry sometimes that these companies uh, too quickly settle these lawsuits because yes. of the risks of you right. know, a $2 billion verdict. Um, instead of fighting them all the way up you know, to the Supreme Court if necessary, because the law really is on their side and the yes. science is on their side. Yes. And, yes. But, but they're just tired of fighting. But the problem is that every time you settle a case, you incentivize the trial lawyers and the activists further. So yeah, well, well, and when we're talking about sort of agriculture and when we talk about energy companies, these are two um, industries that are targeted by environmental activists, and we know, we know, big companies. Uh, you know, they, they fall all over themselves, virtue signaling about their environmental record. They can't, they start foundations. They give right. to kind of, I mean, they, they, they sort of, they, they suffer from the self-hatred, right? They just can't stand themselves, you know, and they're, they're always <laughs> pandering. They're always pandering to environmentalists. I mean, uh, Monsanto does a ton of, gives and does a ton of work in the environmental space. And I mean, my goodness, if you just look at the billions of dollars that go out to charities from energy companies on environmental causes, and yet they're terrified of these activists. And so they settle quickly because they do not, as you say, they don't want the nuisance. Well, you know, they, they get a nuisance. They don't want to deal with it. And so they do settle. We've seen that a lot. But I think you're right. That only empowers the activists. We're not going to see this going away. We're not going to see this change. And if the public doesn't understand this, we're going to see – we're going to see some industries fold. We're going to see farmers switching from relatively or incredibly safe glyphosate, non-toxic glyphosate, to something to a herbicide that is very toxic that does really cause environmental damage, that does harm animals um, and, and and the land in general. And so that's the cost. So I hope I hope some people learn some stuff from this podcast and understand the unintended consequences of this kind of activist behavior. Yes, and on that note, I'm going to go take my round up and spray my patio for weeds. 
because <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it either. You know, every year, last thing I'll say is every year um, around spring, you know, on my my neighborhood listserv, and I live in crazy town, okay, and uh, and there's always someone complaining that they saw Roundup being used on the school grounds or Roundup being used, you know, somewhere else. And, and so they cause a big stink, and I know there's a bunch of letters. So I always dutifully write my city officials here in my town and thank them for using Roundup. So I, I try to be a counterpoint to that. I hope they get one, you know, one bit of fan mail saying, hey, I think this is a great product and I'm glad you're using it. And I use it uh, proudly in my yard as well. So maybe I'll do that this afternoon too. <laughs> yes, well, we should both go out and do that. Exactly. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining me. This is really really a lot of great information. I learned a lot, and um, I'm so glad that you're covering this for IWF. Um, For those listening, we hope you take away something new from today's conversation. If you enjoyed the episode of She Thinks or like the podcast in general, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. This helps ensure our messages uh, reach as many Americans as possible. Share this episode and let your friends know that they can find more She Thinks episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here... You're in control. I think, you think, she thinks.